Oh, well, if you're a little disappointed this morning that you didn't get to hear Pastor Ann, I had thought about um, wearing like an armful of bracelets so that you would at least feel like she was up here, <laughs> jingling around the bracelets. Don't worry. Today, um, I want to talk to you about the antidote. And, um, you know, about three or four years ago, I, was, I met a girl at a grocery store. And I was walking up, I just had to pick up a few things. I was on my way to a dinner party with some friends and I saw this girl standing out, um, out in front of this grocery store. And you know, she was asking people for money. And you know, there was something about this girl that just really drew me to her. She was a young girl, I think I found out at about the time she was about 21 years old and she was pregnant, she was about six months pregnant. And so something just, like I said, drew me to her and so I walked up to her and I said, hi, I'm Ashley. And she says, oh, I'm Ashley. And I'm like, oh, nice name, girl. And, you know, kind of hit it off right there. And so I just asked her, I said, what's your story? And she began to just go on and tell me. And she says, well, I just got into a fight with my live-in boyfriend. Um, I'm six months pregnant. Uh, we were fighting, he tried to push me out of a window. She, her arm was all just bloodied up and which led me to believe that it probably just happened that day. She says, I have no family. That was my home, that was where I lived and he kicked me out. So now I'm living on the streets and you know, tomorrow I have arranged to go to a shelter but tonight I don't know what I'm gonna do. So I'm just trying to stand out here and collect enough money to just have a place to stay tonight. You know, my heart just went out to her. And so I said, well, come into the grocery store with me. Let's talk and let me get you some food. And, you know, I just was like, what can I do? And so we're walking around the store and she, her story just begins to unfold and she begins to share her life with me. And gosh, immediately I'm, I'm just overwhelmed and I sit here and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this girl has got some major issues. Like she's facing some real problems in life. And, and so... I'm just thinking like, what can I do? What can I do? And so, you know, we get up to the cash register and we pay. And I ended up giving her the rest of the money that she needed to just get into that place to stay. But, you know, the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm just thinking to myself, like, how can I solve her problems? What can I do? And, you know, the answer was that I couldn't. They were beyond me. But what I could do was love her. I could love her with the love of Jesus and pray and hope that that love would grab hold of her and become the answer to all the issues that were going on in her life. You know, we have this incredible access to God. We have incredible access to the creator of the human heart. And so often I, I think that, that at times we, what the thing that keeps us from loving people is that we get it in our heads that we have to solve people's problems. You ever met somebody and you're just like, oh my gosh, you have got some stuff going on. And it's overwhelming, right? Maybe you're thinking of your own life. You're like, I'm overwhelmed by my own problems, let alone help somebody else with theirs. But you know, the truth is, is that in and of ourselves, we don't have the power to break chains in people's life. We don't have the power to release that bondage that people are in, but we have access to the one who does. 
You know, Jesus told us in Matthew, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So in essence, love God and love people. You know, love is what makes a way for others to have access. It's what makes a way for them to have access to their creator, to the one who can fix their problems, to the one who can restore brokenness, to the one who brings hope into situations. It's not our job to fix the problems of people. It's just our job to love them towards the one who can. Amen? God's love is the antidote. I had this thought come into my mind as I was preparing for this message, and you know, this is the first time that I've spoken, so just extend your grace to a sister, all right? Um, thank you. Um, but I was just praying, I'm like, oh God, like, I'm so excited for the opportunity, but what do I talk about? And I'm praying, and you know, luckily in this last few weeks, I've had a lot of drives back and forth to Orange County, and we all know what that drive looks like, and so, Luckily, I've had a lot of time to just be like, God, tell me what to talk about. And I feel like he just dropped this in my heart, this idea of the antidote. What's an antidote? An antidote is a medicine or other remedy for counteracting the effects of poison, disease, etc. It's something that prevents or counteracts injurious or unwanted effects. I did some research about antidotes, and I was led to this page that had about... 30 different antidotes to all of these poisons that we might come into contact with. You know, things like snake bites or spider bites, um, lead poisoning, iron poisoning, heavy metal poisoning, all kinds of poisons and things that you can't even pronounce. And, you know, I just started thinking like, oh my gosh, there's all these different antidotes. But you know what? The amazing thing about God's love is that it is the one antidote that we need to remedy every issue that arises in our life. You know, it's the one antidote that will counteract and prevent the effects of things that come up in our lives. You know, there's so much wrapped up in it. You know, we have have love, we have forgiveness and peace and grace and mercy and healing and provision. Did I say that already? Freedom, new life, eternal life, hope. There's so much wrapped up in the love of God and we carry it with us in every situation. I wanna take a few minutes and just talk about Paul, the life of Paul. You know, I don't know if you're like me, but when I think of Paul, was that just me? Okay, I'm really easily distracted. Okay, when I think about the life of Paul, I, I think about an amazing man of God, a man who was passionate about Jesus, passionate about the church, and passionate about the things of God, the man who brought the message of Jesus to the entire Gentile nation, the man who wrote over half of the New Testament. That's who I think of. I rarely think of him as Saul, which is who he was before Jesus got a hold of him. Listen to this. In Acts 8, chapter 3, it says, Paul, no, Saul. This is who we're talking about. Saul shamefully treated and laid waste the church continuously with cruelty and violence and entering house after house, he dragged out men and women and committed them to prison. He committed them to prison so that they could be tried and then put to death. 
His mission was to put Christians to death, to kill them. Done. You know, there's so many people in our world today. You hear countless stories. You know, we've heard in the last several months so many different stories about Christians in other nations being murdered for no reason, just for the simple fact that they're a Christian. They're being murdered. And, you know, when I hear these stories, I think to myself, is that me? That's going to distract me. Okay, sorry. I think to myself, what kind of sick person just goes around killing innocent people? Are you like me? Do you think that? Like, who does that? You know what? That's exactly what Paul was doing. That's exactly what he was doing. But you know what? Something really amazing, amazing happened to him. On his way to Damascus, on his way to actually go and kill more Christians, he had heard about some Christians in Damascus, and he's like, oh, I'm going to go take care of them. On his way to go do that, Jesus got a hold of him. Jesus' love got a hold of Saul and became the antidote that counteracted his hatred and his lack of compassion and the darkness that filled his heart. And do you know what? God referred to Paul as his chosen instrument. This is the antidote that we have in our hands, the love of God. This is what we carry with us. It's powerful. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time just talking about some practical ways to keep the antidote powerful and keep it effective in our lives. Because, you know, the truth is, is that it's actually up to us. We have the say of, of how powerful it is in our own lives. It's only as powerful as we allow it to be. So we're going to read from Romans 12 today, and I love just the different themes that run throughout Romans and just talks about how to live a life that is poured out and how to love others effectively and how to love others with a heart that is genuine and how to lay your life down for others and for God. So let's look at the first verse. Well, we'll start in verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. It says, let your love be sincere, a real thing. Hate what is good, loathe all ungodliness, turn in horror from wickedness, but hold fast to that which is good. This verse kind of gives us an overview of how we're called to live our lives and how we're called to love others. I love how the Message Bible phrases this. It says, love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Hold on to what is good. Hold fast to the antidote, to the love of God. Because it's God's love that's going to help our love be effective in other people's lives. And it's, uh, it's God's love that's going to help us live the kind of lives that God has called us to live. You know, we've got to keep the antidote strong. We've got to keep it effective, and we've got to keep it powerful. Let's move on. So verses 10 through 21 is all about the how. Now, how do we do this? Let's look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family, giving precedence and showing honor to one another. This is all about preferring others, about loving people over ourselves, about loving people as though they were our own flesh and blood, members of our own family. 
Um, I grew up in a pastor's home, and my dad and mom have been pastoring for years, and I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, which is why I say like a lot. I'm a valley girl, so you just have to excuse it. But um, we, my dad and mom pastored a church out in the San Fernando Valley for about 12 years, and while we were there, there was a woman who found her way into our church one day and eventually into our hearts and in our families. And this woman, her name was Valerie, and Valerie is a very special, different lady. And, um, you know, she just was one of those ladies that you just, she was just different, you know? And, and that's okay. That was just who she was. And she had a nickname for everyone. She called my dad Pookie. And which, you know, I don't recommend you going up to Pastor Gary on Sunday morning calling him Pookie. That probably would not be very appropriate. But it was Valerie, and we just said, it's okay, it's Valerie. You know, one of the things that my mom and dad love to do is they love to have people in our homes on Thanksgiving and Christmas and just, you know, our family lived in a different state, our extended family lived in different states, and so our church family were our family. And so, you know, we would invite Valerie in, and she really didn't have much family. She had lived a really hard life, a really tough life, and just gone through some things. And she had kids, but she wasn't allowed to see them just because of some choices that she had made in the past and um, no idea about any siblings or parents or anything like that. But um, Valerie made her way into our home, and, you know, we just loved her. She became, she would come over on the holidays, and she would eat our food and fall asleep on our couch and put her feet up on the table and take her shoes off and all that kind of stuff. And you know, it was fine. She was just part of the family. We just loved her. And you know, can I tell you that there's really nothing sweeter this side of eternity than to just love and be loved. And you know, when we love people, when we place value on them, loving them and preferring them over ourselves, we honor God and his creation. And when we extend the love of God to others, we keep it fresh and potent in our own lives. Let's move on. Verse 11, never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with spirit, serving the Lord. This verse talks about our passion, and that word zeal means great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause. You know, we've gotta be passionate about serving God. We've gotta be passionate about our God. You know, what if I was out one day and, and I just said, wanted to invite someone to Chick Connection. And I, I met somebody and I said, hey, so on Tuesdays I go to this thing and it's called Chick Connection. And it's pretty cool. Um, there's like a lot of decorations and light balls that hang from the ceiling and umbrellas and stuff. And um, you can come and you could get a massage for free. That's kind of cool. And then there's some coffee that we put out, I think. And um, then, you know, we have like some worship, like some music and, um, you know, it's, it's really cool. It's really had an impact on my life, and it's just been really good. Is that, people are going to be like, I don't want to go to that. That sounds so lame. I don't want to come to that. We've got to be passionate about God. We have something to be passionate about. Amen? You know, being passionate, I think, can sometimes get confused with being loud. Passion comes from inside of you. Passion doesn't mean that you're some loud, rowdy person. It just means that what you believe in really like burns within you. The things that you're excited about come out in your words. You know, passionate people, you wanna be around passionate people. They're contagious, you want what they have. 
We need to allow our passion for God flow out of us so that others will see that what we have is unmatched, that what we carry with us is worth having. The antidote is worth having. Verse 12 says this, Rejoice and exult in hope. Be steadfast and patient in suffering and tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Summed up, this verse means don't quit in the hard times. In John 16, it says, in the Amplified Version, I love this, it says, in the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration, but be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. You know, we're gonna face heartache, we're gonna face trouble, we're gonna face things that are difficult, you know, Jesus makes that clear in this verse. But you know, we don't have to fall apart because we have access to hope. Do you know how many people walk through this world and are hopeless? We have hope. The second, no, that's not it. Verse 12, it says to rejoice in hope. And what that means is this, to thrive, live, and dwell in the expectation of God's goodness, his faithfulness, and his love. You know, people are watching us. They're watching us in our easy seasons, and they're watching us in our difficult seasons. We need to live, let our lives be a representation of the hope that we have in Jesus. And we, when we allow that to happen, we strengthen the antidote. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of God's people, sharing in the necessities of the saints. Pursue the practice of hospitality. Love is a doing word. It requires action. You know, people don't want to just be told. They want to be shown. They want the experience of love. They don't just want to hear about it. They want to see it, experience, feel it. You know, the second part of this verse talks about practicing hospitality. And you know what? All hospitality is, is creating space for people in your world. Creating a space for them maybe in your home, maybe in your car, maybe someone needs a ride somewhere. (laughs) Creating space for them on your lunch break at work. Creating space for them at your tables here at Chick Connection. It's just placing value on people. That's all. You know, it's easy to say, well, I don't know, hospitality is not really my gift. And you know what, there are, there are some people in our world who they've been given that gift and it's something that they really thrive in. But you know what, we can all be hospitable because all that it is, is placing value on people. You know, Zach and I love to have people in our house and the truth is we don't do it enough because we say that we're busy. You know what, I just wanna touch on this for just a minute. I I feel like busyness, that word busyness, is a word that has become so overused in our vocabulary. You know, the truth is that life is big, and we do have a lot going on. And you know, I'm not not trying to, you know, minimize your life or your schedule or things like that, but sometimes we just need to stop and we need to ask ourselves the question, what am I busy with? And is my busyness keeping me from being hospitable to others? Is my busyness keeping me from extending the love of Jesus to those who are hurting and those who are lonely and those who are broken? 
So often we feel, and I, I will say this, me first, but so often I, we, fill our schedules and our day-to-day lives with things that don't matter in eternity. We can't allow our busyness to keep us from extending love, from extending the antidote to people who really need it. Amen? Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, who are cruel in their attitude toward you. Bless and do not curse them. After I graduated high school, you know, I had some friends that I was still hanging out with, and I had this one friend in, who, in particular who was my closest friend throughout high school, and we had gotten to a point in our relationship where things just started to get a little bit funny, and um, something in her just kind of flipped. There was a switch that just kind of flipped. And um, I remember her calling me up one day, and she just went off on me. She started saying things to me that were just ugly, calling me things that were terrible, um, saying that I had done things that I had not even done. And I'm thinking to myself, where did this even come from? And you know, my first response was, girl, you are not calling me on my phone and going off on me, on my phone. Got some words for you. (laughs) Call my phone and go off on me. And then had a little come to Jesus moment with my dad. Luckily, have a father who's wise. And I went home and I told him about it. And I'm like, Dad, you will not believe what she said to me. You won't believe the things that she was saying. I'm going to go back to her and I'm going to say this and this and this. And he's like, Ash, you're going to have to let that one go, babe. And I'm like, oh, I want to let it go. But you know what? I did. And we're still friends to this day. We're not as close as we used to be. Sometimes you have to have some separation. But you know what? She knows the life that I live. She sees my life. And there have been so many times where she's called me up and she's been like, hey, I need you to pray with me about this. And you know what? Had I extended curse for curse, that wouldn't have happened. You know, there's always a reason why people are cruel. There's always a deeper issue behind that. And you know, when we make the choice to bless people instead of curse them, we extend the antidote of God's love to them, the antidote that can counteract that deeper issue that is actually really going on with that person. Verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, sharing others' joy, and weep with those who weep, sharing others' grief. You know, as women, it's not always easy for us to celebrate with others. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, Oh, no, I celebrate with people all the time. Well, what about when um, people, I mean, if you do, that's amazing. I just will be honest with you and say that it's not always an easy thing for me to celebrate with people when something good happens to them. But that's why we're in this message, okay? Um, You know, what about when a friend comes to you and they say, oh, girl, I just got this promotion. Or they're like, I just got a raise at work. Or they're like, look at the ring that he just put on my finger. I'm engaged. And you're like, 
When am I going to get a ring on my finger? Do you know how many men I've dated? Not one of them has put a ring on this yet. Everybody else in the world is engaged except for me. It's never going to happen to me. You know what? When we allow that kind of thinking to overtake our emotions, little by little, we dilute the effectiveness of the antidote and its power begins to lessen in our lives. Love celebrates. Love gets excited when something good happens to somebody. Love rejoices. Love isn't envious and it's not jealous. Love is excited. You know, the second half of that verse says to weep with those who weep. You know, we cannot abandon people when they're in their times of need. That is when they need us the most. Galatians 6.2 says, Tell, tells us to bear, endure, carry one another's burdens. We weren't meant to go through this life alone. You know, maybe you've gone through a trying season and maybe you've had people that have come alongside you and you're like, I am so grateful that people came alongside of me. We were not meant to go through this life alone. We weren't meant to face our burdens alone. When we weep with those who weep, we come alongside them and we help carry that weight. We help lift the burdens. And when we do that, the antidote comes in and brings relief to that situation. We make a way for the antidote to be effective in their lives. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, snobbish, high-minded, exclusive, but readily adjust yourself to people, things, and give yourselves to humble tasks. Never overestimate yourself or be wise in your own conceits. You know, I want to focus on the living in harmony part of this scripture. As you know, women, we're not always the best at living in harmony with each other. We're a bit drama. It's okay. I'll just admit it for all of us. We're a bit dramatic. And, um, you know, we say things like, well, I don't like her because she did this, and I don't like her because she said that about me, and did you hear what she said about my husband? Girl, I do not like her. That is, no, we're not friends. And we say things like that, and we walk around acting like a bunch of junior high girls. You know what? We don't have time for that. We don't have time for that, no. We have things to do. We've got people to love. We have the love of Jesus to share. We don't have time to not live in harmony with our sisters. You know, the verse is clear. It says, don't be snobbish, high-minded, exclusive. In the message translation, it says, get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. You know what? The enemy is smart. He's very smart. And he knows right where to attack us. He knows that as women, that we're better together. He knows what we can accomplish if we walk together in harmony. So why wouldn't he try to come in and divide that? We've got to be wise. We've got to be women who walk in wisdom and who acknowledge those traps that are being set out for us by the enemy. And women who have the confidence to say, no, the antidote is powerful in me. It is effective in me. I'm not taking that trap. I don't have time for this. Get behind me in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to this quote. I love this quote. 
If ever there comes a time when the women of the world come together purely and simply for the benefit of mankind, it will be a force such as the world has never known. We need to allow our harmony and our unity be indestructible so that we keep the antidote alive and effective in the body of Christ and pursue all the things that God has called us to pursue together. Amen? Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. That word honorable means upright, having dignity, worthy of high respect, credible. If we're gonna be honorable people, we have to think before we respond. I can't even tell you how many times I've responded to something in the moment, and then later on I'm like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? Anybody else? Oh, that was a mmm, yep. You know what happens when we pay back evil with more evil? Two things. One, we've now just done to that person what they've done to us, so we're on that level now. And two, we fall into the trap that the enemy has laid out for us. He know, he's smart, I said he's smart. He knows the power that we carry with us. He knows the effectiveness of the antidote. He doesn't want us sharing it with others. So he sets out traps to try to take us out. Again, we have to walk in wisdom. We have to rise up and say, oh no, I'm not falling into that trap. I'm not falling into that trap. I've got things to do, people to love, grace to extend. I'm not falling into that trap. Verse 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone. You know, peace is an incredible aspect of the antidote. What does peace do? It gives, uh, keeps you from worry, from fear, brings comfort and rest. It keeps our thoughts from spiraling out of control and getting all crazy like women we can get. It removes chaos and confusion. You know, we live in a world where people need peace. They need the peace of Jesus in their lives. They need peace in their relationships, peace in their health, peace in their finances, peace in their homes, peace at work. We need the peace of Jesus. And when we live at peace with others, we extend peace to others, which means we extend the antidote to worry and to fear and to restlessness, to confusion, and to chaos. We've gotta live at peace with people. Verse 19, don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. When I was about, I think four or five years old, um, I, I have two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother. And at this point in time, my younger brother was not in the picture. So it's just me and my older brother, Chris. And at this time, we lived in Las Vegas. And, um, you know, we, sh we shared a bedroom. We had bunk beds. And we thought bunk beds were so fun because I don't really know why we thought they were fun. But there's something, something about bunk beds that's fun to kids. So anyways, I, had, I was on the top bunk. And, you know, we got sent to bed because it was bedtime. But... 
Like all kids, you know, you don't actually go to bed when it's bedtime. I mean, my child doesn't go to bed when it's bedtime. I don't know if any of yours do, but if they do, let's talk after service and you can give me some pointers. But anyways, we were up and we were, you know, just messing around with each other and we're talking and we're whispering, don't let mom dad hear us. And, you know, that, that fun turned into my older brother just picking at me and teasing me and, you know, just kind of saying things and calling me names and got to the point where I just got so mad. You know, I was a little bit of a hothead when I was little because I had an older brother picking on me all the time. And so I just got so mad. And you know what I did? I leaned over that top bunk and I just hocked up the biggest loogie and like spit right on him, like right smack on his forehead. And I'm like, I'll teach you ever saying stuff like that to me again. And you know what he did? He got up, which is what I should have done when he was calling me names, got up, ran to mom and dad. Mom and dad, you don't believe what Ashley just did. She just spit on me. And then I hear, Ashley Renee, get in here. And I'm like, oh, man. So I go, and my mom's like, get in the bathroom. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen right now? Get in the bathroom, open your mouth. I'm like, oh my gosh. And he picks up the soap, and I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I done? And listen, this is like back in the days when there wasn't like organic, all-natural soaps. This was the nasty, yellow, dial pump soap, okay? Pump that soap in my mouth. Don't you ever spit on your brother again. Walk of shame back to the bedroom. My brother's like, <laughs> horrible. You know, we live in a world that is filled with imperfect people, including me and you. And the truth is that people are going to hurt us. People are going to say things about us. They're going to upset us. But you know what? God is on our side. There's this song that Darlene Chuck wrote that I love. And in the bridge of the song, it says this. God is fighting for us pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated. The enemy wants us to get, defended, get offended because he knows that offense has deep roots and it'll keep us from extending the antidote to others. It'll keep us from loving them the way that we're called to love them. We can't take that bait. We have to know that God is fighting for us. He is on our side and he's got this covered. He's like, I got your back, girl. Don't even worry. You don't need to spit on anybody. <laughs> Verses 20 and 21 say this. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you, but get the best of evil by doing good. Amen, Amen girl. That word good in the original writings, it means pleasant, agreeable, joyful, happy, upright, and honorable. You know, when someone treats you badly, they don't expect you to extend goodness to them. But when people are treated with goodness and the love of God, their hearts begin to soften and the antidote starts to take effect. Now at the heart of these verses, especially these last two verses, I find the simple truth that love always wins. 
Love wins. There's no higher calling on this earth than to love God and love his people. We have to love well. In closing, I want to read the first two verses of Romans 12 from the message. And I love the way this, the message puts language around these verses. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. You know, as we leave here today, I want us to remember this. We have access to the creator of the human heart. We have access to the antidote of God's love. You're not leaving here today empty-handed. The antidote of God's love is alive and effective in each and every single one of us. It's there to help us in every situation that we face with every person that we come into contact with. It's always available. It's always accessible. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna take a few minutes and I'm just gonna pray for people. And I wanna have two different prayers today. And the first prayer that I wanna pray is just for all of us here. I just wanna pray that we would walk away knowing today that we are empowered. We are empowered with this antidote. Why don't you just take a minute and why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's just really focus for a moment on the love of God. God, I thank you so much for your love. God, I thank you for the power of your love, for the effectiveness of your love. And God, right now, I just pray for women across this room, Lord. I pray that today, as we walk away and we go through the rest of this week, Father, that we would leave knowing that we are empowered, Lord, not just thinking that we are, not just feeling like we are, God, but knowing that we are empowered, that we carry with us the antidote to reach our world, that we carry with us the antidote that is going to cover over every single thing that we face in this world, every single thing that people face in this world, God. Lord, I pray that we would be women who rise up in this power, that we would be women who are confident, who walk confident and graciously in this power that we have, God, that we would not do anything to dilute the antidote, God, but that we would keep it effective in our lives so that we can be used for your purposes and for your glory, God. God, we love you. We love you, Jesus. You know, today we have been talking a lot about how to bring the love of Jesus to people's lives. We've been talking about how we have access to the creator of the human heart. You know, maybe you're here today and you don't feel like you have access. 
I want to tell you today that he is accessible to you. His love is available, and all you have to do is receive it. Maybe at some point in time you did receive God's love, but you haven't been walking with him. You know, the arms of your loving Savior are wide open, just waiting for you to come back to him. You know, if you'd like to ask Jesus into your heart today or recommit your life to him, I would love to lead you in that prayer. And all you have to do is believe it with your whole heart. In just a moment, we're going to pray this prayer together. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to wrap your heart around this prayer. Wrap your heart around the fact that God loves you. Why don't we pray this together? Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my past and give me your future. I believe you died for me and I believe you rose again. Thank you for your love that washes away all my sins. My life is forever yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.